Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. Since we first started talking about mercy ships, a lot of interest has been shown in the program and it seems there are still a few questions we would like to ask Hazel Budd, State Representative for Mercy Ships of Australia, and her husband Alan Budd, who is an ambassador with Mercy Ships. Thank you both for coming in and it's a pleasure to have you back in the studio. Thanks for having us back, uh, Iris. We've talked about some of the places that the ships have been and indeed about the ships themselves. Can we now talk about the people who are working on board for a while? How many people are on board at any one time? There's 450 people in total on the ship and of course a lot of those are are permanent, long-term staff and uh, a lot of them are coming and going during the year. Some indication of that is that... uh, Last year in Liberia, we had a total of 1,200 people, 1,200 volunteers went through the ship. Mm. And so for a complement of 450, it represents quite a, a turnover. But that's the, the people can afford time to come and stay with us. What proportion of those people are medical people? Well, we're working on uh, about 110 are medical people, mm. uh, nurses, doctors and uh, mm. all the associated staff. Does that include the, the people who um, work x-rays and pathologists and all of those? Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. So the rest are general staff, shall we say? Well, you've got the ship's crew, starters, and you'll be looking at in excess of 20 of those. Mm. In the engine room, it'll be about uh, in excess of 20, and the same would be on the deck. Uh, and then the uh, catering department and the, uh, uh, the administration. So you've got mm. quite a fair crew there. So... When it comes to meal times, feeding them must be quite a, a, a full-time job. Well, yeah. it's pretty much like uh, like a cafeteria, that uh, you've got the um, the, the uh, staff, uh, the catering staff who mm. will be providing the meals, three meals a day. Is it open all the time? So, if someone was working as a shift worker, for example, if the medical team was caught up with a surgery, something that was going to delay them, are they then able to come back into the cafeteria and, and pick up a meal? Meals will be put aside for them. Do you buy food locally, or do you need to order other supplies in from elsewhere? We do buy food locally, uh, and this is one of the uh, the benefits of our stay in any port that we do put money into the local economy. Mm. Some couple of years ago, I remember one figure being quoted as we put about a million US dollars a month into the local economy. And that was mostly food? Mostly food. Mm. That's a, a big chunk into their economy, isn't it? That's right. It's wonderful. When you have the rest of the crew on, on board, do you have cleaners who sort of look after the general part of the ship as well as the, the medical side of it? Uh, yes, we have uh, uh, cleaners who are volunteers. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our local girls uh, went to the ship as a cleaner, housekeeping actually. It comes under yeah. housekeeping. And she went as a cleaner and she went for six months and she loved it and she wants to go back. Isn't that wonderful? Pay to go to work. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, that, they only clean the general areas, like the library and the hallways and mm. so forth. The uh, cabins have to be cleaned and looked after by the people who are in them. Oh, okay. That was a question I'd sort of got further down in, in my head. So it's just the, the public areas that they look after? Mm, like the libraries and the, um, the general uh, walkways. and mm. Starbucks Cafe. Starbucks Cafe, <laughs> yes, that's important, isn't it? But yes, so the dining room and so yeah. forth, the public area. When you've got volunteers on board, if they're families, do they have one cabin just to a family so that they can bring the children in with them so they're together as a family? Definitely. Mm. The uh, families have family quarters. Mm. 
uh, where they can actually cook their own meals and live as a family unit. Okay. So they can go to the dining room if they wish. Mm. Uh, they can uh, take their meals from the dining room back to their family cabin or they can cook in their uh, family cabin. They're well looked after yeah. as a family because Mercy Ships are very much aware that families need to be together as a family. As families, mm. yeah. What about those who are single? Do they share cabins, three or four to a cabin or something? Yes, sometimes six to a cabin. Oh, okay. <laughs> they have uh, double bunks. Mm. So you'd have three double bunks in a six-bed mm. uh, cabin. Uh, some are only two berth cabins. Do you have disputes amongst all of this? <laughs> yes, uh, we're all human and naturally disputes occur. Mm. Uh, people living together so closely and working together so closely and, yeah. of course, disputes do occur. We have on board our senior chaplain. We have four chaplains on board and they actually are the ones who counsel people when they're having problems. Oh, okay. So anyone can go to, to one of the uh, mm. chaplains and talk it over and then they'll counsel the people who are having the problems. Our senior chaplain... Uh, actually went to the ship about four years ago. Uh, he volunteered after we'd spoken to his church at Toronto. So we're very proud of uh, he being one of uh, that we've recruited. Mm. Just take that a little bit further. If you've got a cabin full of people who are not getting on, they can sort of shift them around and share them with different people to spread them out, to ease that? I don't really know. Probably would depend on the severity of the, mm. the problem they were having. But there's certainly somebody there to help them through that difficult period. Oh, well, we've got, as I say, we've got the four chaplains mm. who are there to counsel them. Mm. You have local people who come in as volunteers, and I guess they would do a, an assortment of jobs too. What sort of jobs would they be doing? We actually pay the translators who work with us. Mm. Uh, they, they, have, they work particularly in the hospital where they need translators yeah. with, with all the patients. And not all the patients speak the same dialect. Some come in from bordering countries, so you need translators for all the patients. That must make life a bit difficult at times. If, if you've got two or three people from different areas, how do they mix and get on? Well, the translators are always available because, oh, right. because we pay them. So they, so they would be on board? They are, yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. They, they don't actually live on board, but they're, they, there, all they're the time. there every day. Local. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. Just on that point, the, uh, there's not a great deal of money, but it's, it's good on their, their scale of uh, wages. The yeah. average uh, wage there is about $1,100 a year. This is Benin we're talking about. And we're paying them uh, $5 a day, uh, which is, is I bet they're not pleased bad to money. see you. Yep. And they also yeah. then have the, uh, the advantage of work in a job with mm. us to mm. take back into the community when we move on. Would that amount also include their meals on board? If they were there through the day, they'd get their meals on board too? Yes, they, they do. Mm. Uh, the other ones we have uh, paid people working with us are with the community development team, and they actually receive their meals too, even though they're out working in the outer areas, mm. they receive their meals too. So if you've got somebody coming in, a local person other than translators, coming in to help on board ship... Is there an opportunity for them when they go back to their communities to further that knowledge that they, or to use that knowledge they've gained on board? They don't actually come on as volunteers. They come on as paid staff. Right. Okay. Uh, one uh, incident we had was where a young man came on and he worked in the galley and he became uh, quite expert at preparing meals and he was able to go and work ashore then 
uh, in a cafe. Uh, he, so it actually gave him a new career, and, shall we say? Yeah. yeah, I was sort of wondering about that, if they could take that on when the, the time the ship goes, if they could take that experience back into their, their community. So obviously they can. Mm, yes. Mm. And also for the translators, it's something to add to, you know, to their experience mm. that they were paid translators on the ship. It shows on their resumes. Mm, mm. If they have them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Wellbeing, and today I'm talking to Hazel and Alan Budd. Hazel, Mercy Ship's stated vision is to become the face of love in action to bring hope and healing to the forgotten poor. How is a destination chosen? I might just pass that one over to Alan. <laughs> yes, well, the, uh, it's, as we've said earlier, it's an uh, international, interdenominational Christian humanitarian organisation. Mm. We take uh, volunteers with skills into an area where the people are in poverty. That's, that's our main mm. area, the poverty-stricken areas. Mm. And uh, we, we show, show uh, God's love in action. It's not a, um, a heavily... A theological exercise it's mm. an exercise of showing practical christianity if it's christian how do you go about with people of a different faith for example the muslims and, and those people do you have any problems with no mixing? problem we're, we're very fortunate over the years we've had no problems at all with people that come onto the ship whether they're muslim regardless of what mm. they are uh, then after being treated they, they asked the question, why do you do this for us? You're, you're Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from that becomes enlightenment and uh, many cases of, of people coming to Christ through that, uh, that interaction. But the main thing is, is showing God's love through the hands and the, the abilities of, of our people. How are patients screened for suitability for treatment? When the, the ship arrives at a port and the people know that the ship is coming, there could be 5,000 people all mm. lined up waiting for surgeries mm. so each one has to be screened so they look for those that they can't help they mm. send them away they look for babies because they don't want them out in the hot sun mm. and then they look for people who require the most urgent or will require more than one operation mm. they get the early appointment cards and okay. then towards the end of the stay the lesser uh, problems are looked after. So you have like a triage set up for, for these people? Someone who sort of goes and mixes in amongst them and, and checks them to see what's wrong? With, uh, with 5,000 people, mm. you need all the medical staff yeah. out and then the, uh, the nurses will see if someone is a suitable mm. candidate and they will pass them on to the doctors and so forth, yes. Okay. It's not only the, uh, the medical screening, it's a lot of support work by the crew themselves. They're there taking water and, uh, and relief and all that sort of mm. thing to these people who are waiting in the rain or they're waiting in the sun, and uh, so they're ensuring that they're, they're comfortable. And we also have uh, teams to console those that um, we can't do anything for, and so they take them aside and uh, uh, consult with them. When you start to talk about it, it just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? When you first came here, the first program, you think, oh, yeah, mercy ships and this is what you do. But as we've gone deeper into what's happening the whole thing just I mean it's just enormous and I, I just find that incredible that you're able to run this organization so well and obviously you do the uh, the problem is enormous because uh, poverty strikes uh, so many people uh, we're um, working in West Africa we've got a long-term commitment there we've been there for nearly 20 years there will be a, a lifetime of work there amongst the poverty-stricken people mm. now uh, Benin is, is 163rd 
on the um, United Nations Human Development Index, 163rd out of 175. So it's pretty low down on the scale. It's a long way down. Yeah. And of the uh, the lowest uh, 30 on the uh, development index in the world, mm. 25 of those are in West Africa. So we've got a long-term job there. It certainly sounds that you're never going to be short of work anyway, put it that way. No, never. <laughs> no, you could stay there forever and you would never yeah. be able to solve all the problems there. On board, you've got all sorts of high-tech equipment that allows for surgeons and pathologists and all of those people to make instant diagnoses, for example. How do you transmit the information that they need? And I think it goes, some of them go back to England or to the UK for analysis. How does that work? I think I mentioned this last time, and uh, that's uh, quite an interesting uh, uh, instrument. That's only part of our whole operation, but that allows instant diagnosis of a a tumour, whether it's benign or whatever. But uh, just at the moment, or quite a few months of this year, we have on on the ship a uh, biomedical technician training school. Uh, One of our uh, guys is a uh, biomedical technician, and he has set up this uh, this school, and uh, so they're doing their theoretical work on the ship, and then they're doing the practical work down in the ship itself. Now we've got X-ray, CAT scan, coolscope, all these sorts of mm. things, and so they're getting the full modern day hospital technology. Uh, then they also go back to their own hospitals and health department wherever they're coming from, and then then come back to the ship again. Now this same guy is also running them for nurses and, and other people so that they can realise the full potential of the, uh, the equipment that, that a hospital would have. If a diagnosis is made, is it likely there'd be suitable drugs on board to, and be available to give them the full treatment they might need? Oh, yes, yes. We, we have had, I believe, in the past uh, problems of getting them there in time sort of thing, but it's pretty well organised to my knowledge that um, they'll set the programs and uh, we do program well and truly before we go into a place. There's Mm. a lot of groundwork done before we go there. So they will have had all the resources planned, including the drugs. Uh, To give you some idea uh, what happens, um, say, for the um, orthopaedic outreach, there will probably be about $2 million programmed for that. They do have sufficient drugs there, though, Alan, to cater for the needs. That's right. Of, yeah, the yeah. Uh, programmed, uh, you know, each phase of this and mm. the drugs and all the other equipment will have been programmed into it. In the event of anything urgently being required, this can be brought in relatively quickly because we're there for quite a long time. Yeah, you're there for about ten months of the year. I think, That's isn't? right. But this this, uh, this one next year will be a shorter one. We're going to Togo. That's only about uh, eight, eight months, I think, for that one. When you've got your medical team turning over, if you like, and I guess each doctor has his own method of surgery, is there a problem with bringing in different nursing staff, theatre staff, to fit into that system that you've got one doctor working for? When we uh, plan the surgeries, we plan to do all of a certain uh, type of surgery at the one time. For example, we do orthopaedics at one time. Uh, We might do the uh, facial Mm. surgery Mm. another time. So you'll have the surgeon, specialist surgeon, doing all those in one one, uh, time. So you don't have, you're not sort of changing or swapping daily, Mm. doing different Mm. operations. They have 
times when they'll just do one particular operation with one particular surgeon. He'll have the same yeah. uh, operating theatre nurses working with him. So it's a, it's a complete team right the way through on in in the course of a surgeon. Yes, yes. Just on that uh, that point, ophthalmic surgeon is uh, Dr. Glenn Strauss, and um, he's training local uh, ophthalmic surgeons there at the moment. Uh, and he's bringing them up to speed so that they can do 100 cataract removals a week. So one, one mm. particular doctor is uh, from another neighbouring country, and she'll go back to her country and teach them how to do it. Oh, okay. But for that, uh, that's a Mercy Vision, we've called that program. That's mm. the eye program mm. for this year. Our budget is uh, $4,600,000 uh, for that. We've got gifts in kind that total 3700 so there's um, yeah, three quarters of it mm. is already done. So we, we then solicit funds to cover the rest. Since we're on the subject of, of soliciting for funds, where do you get your money from? You. Oh, okay. Iris, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we don't have any government support. Mm. And so we rely on corporations who can be very generous. Mm. Uh, and the general public, that's, mm. that's the only way that we have our money. So I guess it's it's programs like this one that bring more people to know about Mercy Chips. So if they're interested, they can get in touch with you. That's right. Iris, uh, our main uh, role in Mercy Chips now is in promotion. And so we speak to anyone who will listen to us. <laughs> we speak to churches and to uh, probus clubs and Rotary and Lions Club. As I say, anyone who will listen to us. And always the question is asked... Why haven't we heard of this before? Mm. But we have no uh, advertising funds and because uh, all the money that we raise needs to go to the ship, to the ship itself. because that's mm. where the, the real need is. To, to give you some idea as to the, the, the need that uh, we're, we're pushing and we, we need volunteers to go to, well, Benin is, is a facing mm. point, that um, the mortality rate for under five-year-olds that's those who are born alive and they have a 10% birth death rate. They, mm. they die at birth. Yeah. But those who survive, the mortality rate is uh, 15% up to five years old. So that's pretty high. Mm. Then the 33% um, of the population don't have access to clean water. They've got to drag it out of creeks and this sort of thing. And in the whole country of Benin, there's 8.5 million people and there are 311 GPs, which works out at 27,000 patients per GP. And we complain that we don't have enough doctors either. Well, that's right, yeah. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and today we are once again talking to Hazel and Alan Budd about life on board a Mercy ship. Hazel, I guess as well as the actual medical side of the surgery and the treatment and all of those things, strict medical records would be needed for each patient. What happens to those records? Do they go ashore with the patient when they leave the hospital? Or do you keep a record on board as well as? I would say both. Mm. And the, if there's a chance that the patient is able to, to continue their treatment with a doctor ashore, well, those records would be taken uh, to that mm. doctor or that hospital clinic, whatever is available for them. What sort of chance would they have of getting to a clinic so that their treatment could be continued if it's you know a long-term chronic condition? I think it's very, very difficult for them to access any type of medical help at all uh, in some of these areas. 
um, people come from hundreds of miles around, so they're not actually living in the cities. And I think it would be very, very difficult for them to have any access even to a pharmacy, let alone a GP mm. or anyone who can give them antibiotics, any help at all. It's very, very difficult. That's why we see these enormous deformities that would be treated in our society but because there's no early intervention something that starts to grow will grow to an enormous size club feet are left untreated as a cliff lips and palates mm -hmm. because these people just don't have the opportunity to see a doctor and they don't have antiseptics or antibiotics that's why things like noma there's a disease called noma melting disease mm. which will melt away a person's mouth and nose because they with anti uh, antibiotics i'm sure that this could be stopped at the very beginning as soon as it yeah. started but and of course they don't have the, the facilities no for that. no they can't just go up to their local pharmacy and or their local gp mm. get a prescription so what starts to grow grows what starts to eat away continues Keep to going. eat away so mm. yeah. in the country yeah, there's only uh, one dentist for every million people that's in benin one, one dentist. dentist for every million and of course with teeth are not cared for that gets into the system and then causes all sorts of That's general right, health it goes problems through to the, uh, yeah. tumors and all this sort of yeah. thing it brings about facial reconstruction as well as just the tooth extractions our, our dental team are handling 60, 60 patients a day of course they're all volunteers they're mm. working in a, a dental clinic ashore because we don't have one on the ship and it's better to have it away from the ship because yeah. they're sort of transitory uh, patients. But yes, they're giving oral hygiene, all this sort of thing, so as to help these people on that lower strata access uh, health care. Something that we all take for granted, don't we? Mm, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, speaking about the dentists, we have a dental assistant uh, from Tamworth uh, who went over a few weeks ago and she's working with the team ashore mm. and she's sending us great information through about what's happening each day and she's absolutely enthralled by it and wants everyone to know about it and she's given us uh, a little screed to encourage dental assistants, dentists and dental assistants to go over there because she said the experience is one that you would never have anywhere else and getting to learn about the different culture in, in Africa and also their lack of, of any assistance. So they're doing great work over there. If you've got your dental clinics ashore, what's security like for the people on board and going on and off the ship? Uh, security is, uh, is a thing that we, um, we get organised before we go into any port. Mm. We must have uh, wood security for our berth and we have a perimeter area there and it's, uh, usually we have armed guards around there anyway. The country provides mm. those. On the ship itself, um, there's only one major gangway into that that uh, is accessible and uh, you don't get past the top of it because we've got Gurkha guards up there and so you've, uh, you've got to be uh, accredited to get in. Mm. Uh, where they come into the ship, um, uh, into the hospital, well, that's another guarded area where they go down to the waiting room and then into the hospital. But in the, um, the outer areas, they're, um, they're sort of local people provide security. But could I just come back to that uh, dental business again yeah. because it's so urgent that we get dental people coming to help, not only in Benin, but Togo, any of these countries along there, because there's complete ignorance uh, in the lower strata of, uh, of dental hygiene. 
Uh, just to give you some idea of what we're doing, the dental team has a goal of treating 11,500 individuals in Benin and uh, b- providing uh, basic oral health education to uh, some 14,000 people during this 10-month period. So you can see that team is, uh, is working really hard mm. to improve the... And they give the, um, the recipients uh, a toothbrush because the normal thing at that, that level is they have a, a stick and they clean their teeth with a stick. So they give them a, a proper toothbrush. Yeah. And I guess they would then wear that right down to the bristle at the bottom. I would think so, unless they can sell it. <laughs> Unfortunately, as always, time has beaten us. Just one last question. When the ship moves away and goes to Griezen Oil, as I always call it, and then go on to another port, how do the, the local people cope with this facility going out of their lives? Well, we've, by that time, by the end of 10 months, we've treated all those who have come in. Now, bear in mind that Benin is 120 k's wide and 700 uh, k's deep. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the word gets around that all those who really need it have been there to be st- screened, and they do a couple of screenings during the whole time, as people mm-hmm. hear later on. So most of those are fixed. Now, Togo is right next door. And so they walk next door, okay. into the country next door, yeah. uh, if they need more. And this has happened over the period of time, because when you look at the map of Af- Africa, the backside there, they move up and down there pretty freely. So although they don't have all the facilities, we have improved the facilities uh, where we can. And we could go on again with that, how we've instituted a, a mental health program mm. in Liberia. Now we're doing it in Benin. Uh, and we'll do it as we go on, just in one area. So there are improvements for the people in that uh, lower strata or the lower batting order. You both have told us about the enormous tasks. I guess the people in Australia find it at times quite impossible to imagine the tasks set for your people, for your volunteers. Thank you both for coming in and telling me about it, telling our listeners about it. And, of course, we wish you every success and and may you get lots of money and lots of ships um, and keep going. And thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Iris. Thank you, Iris. My guests today have been Hazel Budd. She's the State Representative for Mercy Ships Australia and her husband, Alan. He's an ambassador for Mercy Ships. Thank you, as always, for listening, and until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of us all, wishing you well.